this is a great time of year. I love Christmas. I love celebrating Christmas. I love thinking about the incarnation of Christ, God in the flesh coming to earth for us on our behalf, fulfilling all those prophecies of the Old Testament and all that God had in store for you and I. That's what this is about. It's not about the trees, though they're pretty, and the decorations, though they're pretty. They, they draw our attention to much more. They draw our attention to the, the babe and the manger. They draw attention to Christ, what God is trying to do in this world, and his desire to use us to impact the world. In 1741, a composer put together a piece of music. It was two and a half hours long. Last night we went to, down to CCU to listen to Karis and the rest of the choir and the orchestra and the, the band and all these different performances, and it was two hours long. The people sitting next to me after an hour, they got up and left. I remember when movies were two, two and a half, three hours long normally. Now you can't even get an hour and a half out of someone. 87 minutes. Woo, that's a long movie. Lord of the Rings, three hours. <gasps> You're going to sleep through it. But this composer composed a, a musical score, two and a half hours long, totally from the Scriptures. Every word came from the Scriptures. His name was Handel. We call it Handel's Messiah. At the pinnacle of this, at the very end of the two and a half hours, there's a chorus that raises to the top, to the, to the peak, and it becomes the climax of the whole time that they've been sitting there listening. We call it the Hallelujah Chorus. Lifting up and praising the name of God. And He shall reign forever and ever. He shall reign forever and ever. He shall reign forever and ever. The birth of Christ proclaims that. We're going to look at a passage over the next couple of weeks that Handel used as his, one of his key passages for developing this whole production, what we call Handel's Messiah. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me in Isaiah chapter 6, chapter 9 rather, this morning, as we read a few verses here that draw our attention to all that God wants to do and reason why He came. Isaiah chapter 9, as we read the first seven verses here this morning. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish in the former time. He brought into the contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, He has made a glorious way in the sea, the land beyond Jordan, the Galilee of the nation. Now, what is this glorious way? He says it here. Verse 2, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased his joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken on the day of Midian. For every boot, the trampling warrior and in battle tumult, every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel with the fire. For a child is born, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, 
mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, I thank you so much that you've given us this passage to remind us of who you are so we can connect with you on a different level. We connect with you as our wonderful counselor, the mighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Father, as you draw men to yourself during this Christmas season, I pray, Father God, that we would connect with you, Father, as as wonderful counselor today. Help us to understand what this means for us in 2019. Not just words on a page that we read throughout the year, but understand what that is for us and how you want to relate to us in this way. I pray, Father, as we go through the passage this morning, that you will bring hope into our lives. Hope for the future. Hope for what it is you want us to be. In Jesus' name I pray. This morning, we're looking at just two of the words in that passage as we read through there in, in, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, the very last two pa- verses there. Kind of the key point for Handel bringing out that Messiah. I was going to play all two and a half hours for you this morning, but I figured my wife and kids would kill me if you guys, the rest of y'all didn't. But we're going to look this morning at who is Jesus as our wonderful counselor what does that really mean is what is it mean that jesus is this wonderful counselor is if they just words that roll off the tongue they're just there on the page do they really affect us do we really understand what that is when we think of jesus we look at him as this babe in the manger and mary and joseph and and the shepherds and the sheep and all the camels and think about him in in the stable and all the stuff that comes on but what if he how does he relate to us in this way as our wonderful counselor. The Christmas season, doesn't that make you feel all warm and fuzzy? It does me. I love the, all the food, the songs, the music. I look forward to the presents. I look forward to the decorations. I look forward to all the presents under the tree for me, I mean for my kids, and seeing them open them up on Sunday mor- on, the, on that morning. I look forward to all the times together but what if we could really understand what God wants from our lives beyond all the accoutrements of Christmas? Isaiah was written 2,700 years ago. 700 years before the time of Christ. 700 years before Jesus' birth, God laid this out in Scripture because he was excited about what was coming. All in the Old Testament, if you read through there, and you'll see different times through the Psalms and the different prophets and throughout the Old Testament, pictures and pictures and pictures of the Messiah that was going to come, the babe Jesus. Because God wanted people to be in anticipation for what was coming. Think about it. Our family, we start back in September with Christmas music playing. I know you're thinking, September? We don't play it constantly for four months. But we'll start, the girls start requesting 
their playlist at night, being Christmas music, and we start thinking about it and thinking through what we want to do. Regina wrote a devotional a few years back that we go through as well in our house, and we go through the names of Jesus for uh, the 25 days leading up to Christmas. The anticipation is there. When we begin thinking about the trees, and we begin thinking about the, the lights and the decorations, and we begin thinking about the presents, and the kids are getting all excited and getting giddy, and they're thinking about the wonderful food that's coming. The anticipation for our celebration events. See, in the Old Testament, as God was writing, communicating to us, to stimulate that anticipation for Christ's coming, for the Messiah's come. He's and trying to build that in his people so they might understand and desire to look forward. In Genesis chapter 3, the very first instance of the Messiah, after Adam and Eve sinned, God did not leave Adam and Eve in their sin. He could have said, sorry, you messed up, you're done. That's it, going to restart. But he didn't do that. Even after mankind had rejected God, Adam and Eve, nobody else on the planet, Adam and Eve rejected God right there in the garden. He said, I'm going to make a way for you to be redeemed back to me. And he lays out this prophecy, the very first prophecy. That he said, Man, you're going to have to, husbands, you're going to have to go and work the fields. It's going to be hard for you. Women, you're going to have to have pain in childbirth. It's going to be hard for you. Snake, you're going to have to be on the belly. You're going to be on the ground. It's going to be hard for you. And, but in spite of all the difficulty, I'm going to send a Savior. And that Savior will redeem mankind. But it's not going to be easy. At the same time that Savior comes, the snake's going to bite him on the heel, but that heel's going to crush his head. I love that picture. The heel is going to crush the head of the snake. Because there's nothing the snake can do. There's nothing Satan can do to keep us out of God's kingdom if we truly come to God in faith. This passage here in Isaiah, it's almost like God is saying, Isaiah, I want you to write this down because I want to continue building this anticipation for what is coming. I want you to write this down so that everyone can look forward to what is coming. I want you to, everyone to look forward because he's going to be this wonderful person. He's going to be this wonderful counselor. He's going to be a mighty God. He's going to be an everlasting father. He's going to be the, bring, bring peace, be the prince of peace to all of us. Isaiah, write this down so that my people, those who are looking, can find the truth about who the Messiah is. God was excited to announce his son's coming. He could have left us, everybody, in dark. He could have left everybody just kind of wondering what was coming. But he chose to write it down. Look, listen to this again in verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So let's break that down for just a second. Who is Jesus as our Wonderful Counselor? First of all, understand this. Jesus is wonderful. Jesus is wonderful. In fact, the, the Hebrew word for that is Pele. I know some of y'all think that was a soccer player back in the 80s, Pele. But really, literally, literally when, when he's saying here, 
This means Jesus is a marvelous thing. He is the Pele. He is a cut above. He is lifted up. There's no other. There's nobody even above him. There's no first above him. He is the first. He is better than anyone else could ever expect. He is this Pele. He is the wonderful counselor. We look at it and go, okay, he's wonderful. That's good. I think sweet potatoes are wonderful. I think presents under the tree are wonderful. I think my wife is wonderful. I think my kids are wonderful. But even those do not compare to what is intended here in the Hebrew. The word Pele, he is that cut above. He is to be lifted up high above all else. He's not just wonderful. He's the most wonderful. He is the most high. He is the greatest. He describes something so great that only God could do it. That describes it with something, I mean, God's grace. Only God could pour out His grace into our lives. Only God could step down and bring us back into His salvation. Only God could work the miracles in Scripture. Only God can do those things. That's what just describing Jesus as. In fact, Job, in Job chapter, in chapter 9, verse 10, he describes God this way. He says, He does great unsearchable things, wonders without number. He does great and unsearchable things. All these wonders, all these great things, the same word is there. All these wonderful things, only God does it without number. David uses it in Psalm 86. For you are great and perform wonders. You alone are God. That's the kind of God we're talking about. That's the kind of God that how is, we, we talk about how great He is. That is our God. Listen to how David writes in, in Psalm, Psalm verse 8, Psalm 8, rather. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? And yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly things, crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. And you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also beasts of the fields, the birds of heaven, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. We serve a great God, not just wonderful as we think of it, but the most wonderful, the great God, the most high God, the greatest thing and being to ever be in existence. That's who Isaiah is proclaiming here. He is wonderful counselor. There is no other before him. He is great. So when we think of that, we think of the idea of the counselor now. Now when you think of a counselor, sometimes in our, in our, in our, in our first mind, okay, he's a counselor. But in today's age, what do you do when you go to a counselor? You lay on the cot, you're sitting there, and the counselor's over there taking notes. Really, they're playing tic-tac-toe, but you think they're taking notes. Tell me your problems, and you're laying out your problems, and they're taking notes, and then they try to give you some grand advice to help you with your deal. We talk about going to marriage counseling, we talk about going to school counseling, and maybe if, if you're trying to figure out your path for the future, you might go see the school counselor, or, uh, and, and they might help you to get your classes organized and together. But the word here for counselor 
in Hebrew, Yoetz. It literally means the, an advisor in the king's court. An advisor in the king's court. That status, that, that strategic person who's there giving sound advice to the king, to the leader. That David had Ahithophel in 2 Samuel chapter 16. In fact, his advice, he, he was such a good advisor to the king that people came around, kind of almost like Solomon, people came around to listen to his advice. They said, well, his advice comes from the gods. And they understood it. It's not where that he was not as smart as, as God. But his advice was so sound that people, others wanted to come around as well. And David took very close care to listen to what him. Daniel was an advisor to King Nebuchadnezzar. He was one of the wise men there in, in King Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. And when King Nebuchadnezzar wanted to know something, he brought the wise men in. And Daniel was the chief of the wise men, the wisest of the wise, as they brought them into play. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. And as a cupbearer, he not only drank some of the king's food, drank, drank the food, drank the wine and ate some of the food to make sure it wasn't poisoned. He also had the ear of the king. So if the king had a question and needed some advice, he would also turn to his cupbearer. He was trusted. After Solomon passed away, his son Rehoboam came into power and very quickly set aside all of his dad's advisors and called them to himself, all of his peers who gave him very bad advice. So advisors are not always what they're cracked up to be, are they? Proverbs 24, 6, Solomon said this, For by wise guidance you can wage your war, and in abundance of counselors there is victory. He understood what it, had, what it meant to have a good advisor around him, what it meant to have that good strategic counsel around him. Not just one or two people, but a group of advisors who counseled him. These were not therapists, as I said before. These were strategists. They were the legal dream team that you gather around you if you get in trouble with the law. They're the ones, not just one or two lawyers, but a whole room of lawyers. But even at that, not one is above God. God is the legal dream team. He is the ultimate advisor, and there is no one above him. Look what Isaiah says in, verse, in chapter 40, verse 13 and 14, in describing God's knowledge, and God as this counselor says, who has measured the spirit of the Lord, and what man shows his counsel? Whom did he consult, and when who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice? Who taught, and taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? He says, who is it that can teach God? Who is it that can be the counselor to God? No one. God is the counselor. He is the Pele Yoats. He is the most wonderful counselor, that greatest advisor, the strategic voice that we need to be hearing. That is who this babe is. That is who's coming into the world. Pay attention, world, as you're reading this, as you're anticipating the Messiah coming into the world. This is who he's going to be. And he can be this counselor, this advisor for us as well. It's not just this generic word that we throw out there. He's be a wonderful counselor. He came to be that for us. This voice of truth, this voice of knowledge and wisdom for us as well. 
to show us the path to truth, to show us the path to redemption, show us the path back to God. And to guide us in our daily lives now as well. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus meets Zacchaeus. You know, you know the whole story. Zacchaeus, come out of that tree. I'm going to go to your house today. And after going to Zacchaeus' house, having lunch with him, Zacchaeus' life was transformed by the knowledge and the wisdom and the advice of this wonderful counselor. He did not remain the same. He did not remain this little tax collector cheating everybody around. His life was radically transformed as a result of meeting Jesus. He went out, said, I'm going to give back and repay everybody. That's transformation. A tax collector was hated by the people at that time because they regularly robbed everybody they came in touch with. They said, you don't just owe me 50 bucks, you owe me 75. And he's going to pocket the other 25 because he had to turn into 50. They regularly robbed all those around them. But Zacchaeus, after meeting with Jesus, after hearing the counsel of Jesus, he said, my life cannot be the same. I have to change. 180 degrees. And he began following, began giving back, and began working as an honest citizen. The first 13 years of my life, now, you know, you know I, got a, I got saved as a seven-year-old little boy. I met Jesus, and I, I asked him to come into my life and save me to, to, he, to forgive me of my sins. But there were still struggles in my life. I pretty much lived the way I wanted. I look back now and think of some of the things I did and some of the things I said, and it's like, yeah, I wasn't really following God, was I? You're nine, you're ten. Yeah, but I had... Holy Spirit inside of me. I should have known better. I didn't really live the way I should have those next six, seven years. You're like, how many sins could you have committed? A lot. At age 13, I recommitted my life to Christ. I said, God, I don't want to live my way anymore. I want to follow your lead and let you become Lord of my life. Since then, he has been that counselor for me, guiding me through every decision of our lives, guiding me through my life and protecting me from decisions, wrong decisions I could have made in high school. He protected me from some of the girls I wanted to date and shouldn't have dated. He protected me from the parties I wanted to go to to fit in with my friends and made choices to not go to those parties because I knew that that would not please God. He protected me from things I could have done in, in trying to fit in with my friends and those around me. Instead, I made the decision to step up. To step up and try to be a light to my friends. To let my light so shine before them that they may see Christ in me and glorify God as a result. As I was contemplating my future, my junior year, God very clearly directed me and said, I want you to go into my service. But God, I can follow my dad's, I can do what my dad did, go into business, I could, I could do that, I, I, I can make a lot of money for you, God. He said, yeah, I know you could, but no. You're going to be a pauper. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I followed his leading. I said, God, where do you want me to go to school? There's, you know, I'm in South Carolina, there's, didn't want, definitely didn't want to go to the military academy, the Citadel. 
I was not in, I didn't want to do that. So, you know, there's College of Charleston, uh, there's Bob Jones. You know, you want me to go into your service? I can go to Bob Jones where the guys and girls walk on different sides of the street. Uh, yeah, that, was, that, that would not have been fun. Um, thankfully, he didn't lead me there. Um, he introduced me to a school, Liberty University, I'd never heard of before. But one of the girls I was in, went to school with, her brother had gone there, and she was on her way there. I'm like, oh, I'll go check it out. And after arriving on campus, very clear, God said, this is where I want you. Okay, yeah, I'll go there. I don't know anything about the school, but I'll go there. At school, dated a couple girls there during my first couple of years, and then this Young, young girl came in, this young woman came in my third year there and, wow, stole my heart. Swept me off my feet. Found out that she had a very similar mission and vision and a plan to serve God with her life as well. We got married. We have six beautiful girls. We followed God overseas. We decided to lead Him and follow, listen to His counsel and to follow Him as He led us overseas for a number of years, and he's continued preparing us and planning us and prepping us for what he was going to have for us here in Denver as we followed his lead. Listen to his counsel. Hopefully, many of you have a similar story of following God's leading in your life, listening to his word, and saying, God, where do you want me to work? Where do you want me to live? Who do you want me to date? What major do you want me to go into in college? God, I need your direction and your counsel because you are the greatest. You are the Pele. You are the most wonderful counselor. Only by listening to you can I have that perfect leading and instruction in my life. I could have listened to all my friends. Come with us to the party. It's okay. You don't have to drink. Just come and hang out and get arrested with the rest of them at the party at the beach. It's okay. Just come and be a part. It doesn't matter what college you choose. It's okay. It doesn't matter what major you go into. Just choose something that's going to make you a lot of money. It's okay. It doesn't matter what girl you date, what her values and her passions are for the future. Listen to God. Because it's through all this time and listening to Him as my advisor, not that I'm the king, but I need that advisor right next to me, living within me, listening to the Holy Spirit as I grow, as I walk through my life. Now, I didn't tell you about the negative times. I told, I told you about the positive things, right? And the ways I followed God. I purposely did not tell you about the negative times because I don't like to think about the negative things. Those times when God says, do this, don't do this. And I said, no, I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to go over here when you told me to go there. I'm, I'm, and very clearly, that did not work out. See, we have a choice, right? We all have choices to make. We can choose to listen to God. We can choose to follow His lead. We can choose to spend time in His Word and, let, and fill our minds and our hearts with the, the passion that we get from God's Word. Or we can choose to listen to everything else in the world that wants to lead us down the other path. See, those voices sometimes are so loud and we get swayed if we don't fill our mind constantly with the Holy Spirit with the Word of God. God's not going to force us. He's never forced us into His path. Into his path. But even now as I live, you know, as, as, I'm, as I live my life now as 50 years old, He still counsels me in my marriage how to treat my wife and my kids. He counsels me with 
things that are coming out of my mouth and the things I'm putting into my mind. He counsels me about how to spend my money. He counsels me with who to associate with on a regular basis. So many things I need his counsel daily. Because if I'm left to my own devices, I can't even begin to imagine. I need him daily. And so do you. Do we listen to him? Do you listen to him as your counselor? Do you listen to him as, or do you say, well, that's a nice passage in Scripture. I think I'll just read that and then I'll put it down and go about my day. Or do you take what's in this book, this love letter from God, and soak it in, soak it in, soak it in like a sponge and let his counsel, let his words so fill us. Well, this past summer we talked about the man from uh, Gadarenes who had been healed from all the demons inside, and Jesus sent the, all the demons into the pigs, and they ran off the cliff. And after that man got healed, he came and sat at Jesus' feet and was clothed. And he sat there in his right mind, and he said, Jesus, I want to follow you. Jesus, I need to, I want to follow you. I want you to teach me. Jesus, I, I need your wisdom. And who, of, who among us would have said, thought, yeah, that would be really good for that guy to go and follow Jesus and learn something. But Jesus instead, in his, his wisdom, this counselor says something totally against what I would have advised, which you probably would have advised. He said, no, you go back to your village and you tell them what God has done for you. Kind of odd. You think that he would have said, sure, come follow me and become a fisher of men, right? Like he did with his other disciples. You come follow me and you let me pour into you and disciple you to become the man of God you need to become. But instead he said, nope, you go back and you tell your village what God did for you. And the man does it. He listens to the advice. A little bit later, Jesus comes back to that across the river. He comes back across the lake, rather, and he shows up there. And what happens? The village comes out to hear the, from the man who healed this guy of the demons. The whole village comes, and they want to hear and see what this man, who this man is. And Jesus was able to minister to not just that man, but to everybody in that village. Same thing in, in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well. She comes, and he, he, he reveals to her all of the secrets of her life, and he says, now go back to your village, and you tell them. She goes back and tells them, and they all come out because they want to come hear about this man and what it is, what makes him so special. They didn't have the deepest scriptural knowledge. They didn't have the deepest understanding of the Bible or who Jesus was, but they listened to his counsel. They listened to his advice. In Luke chapter 8, a man comes to Jesus and says, Master, my daughter is sick. She's on the verge of dying. Would you please come and heal her? So they start walking to his house, and on his way to Jairus' house, the crowd's all pressing in. They all want to be around this master. They all want to be around the rabbi. An old woman reaches out and grabs the hem of his garment. She's been suffering with what the Bible calls an issue of blood, a blood disease of some kind, for her whole life. 
And she reaches out and grabs the hem of his garment and instantly gets healed. Instantly gets healed. And Jesus stops and he says, who touched me? Right? I mean, the whole crowd's around him and he's like, uh, they're like, uh, Jesus, everybody's touching you. Everybody's bumping into you. He goes, no, I felt power go out. Who touched me? And that woman steps forward and goes, it was me. I touched you. And he says, woman, go in peace. Your faith has made you well. See, he was not just concerned with her physical. He could have walked on. He knew that she was healed. He totally knew that her body was healed. But he was concerned not just for her physical ability and getting rid of the blood disease. He was concerned with her heart as well. He says, go in peace. Sin no more. He was concerned with her on a much deeper level. Just like he is concerned with us on a much deeper level as well. He's concerned with the everyday decisions that we make. He's concerned with the lives that we live and how we are living them and how we are impacting those around us. He's, he's not just some Santa Claus. He's not just there to help us through our needs. He's concerned about our heart. He's concerned about your heart and in that relationship with you. See, 700 years before the birth of Christ, God said, my son is going to be a counselor, an advisor, a strategist just like no other. No one will ever have seen or heard anyone else like him. I'm going to tell everyone about him so they can anticipate his arrival, the advent. They're going to watch it happen and then celebrate it after the fact. A couple weeks ago, we put up our decorations and our trees so we can anticipate Christmas. On the 25th, we're going to watch it happen and we're going to celebrate together as a family. In the same way as the body of Christ, we come together in anticipation of the story of Jesus. We anticipation of what he's done for us. And we're watching it happen, watching lives transformed, and we can celebrate together lives transformed in our community. Are we ready? Or are the activities of the season distracting us from what God wants to do through us and in us in our communities? The parties are fine. The decorations are all fine. But if those things distract us to, from what God wants to do, then we're missing the mark. He wants to be your counselor. He wants to be your advisor. He wants to be that strategist coming alongside, directing you, helping you make the right choices in your life. And the first choice we've got to make is for him. The very first choice he wants us to make is to humble ourselves and bow our knee to Him. To acknowledge Him as Savior, as Lord. Not just as the babe, but as the risen King. We celebrate Easter time, who comes out of the tomb, a risen, victorious Savior of the world. That's the very first decision He wants us to make. And we're going to have opportunities this Christmas season to commit ourselves to Him, to introduce Him to others. Are we ready? Are you ready to share the Christmas season that's more than just this stuff? 
That's who he really is. 700 years before the birth of Christ. God said, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. 